everything you do is new, right? Like every mm. stage you get to, you like get to a point, you're like, I've never run a company of this size before. So you're just kind of like working it out as you're going and getting yeah. a little bit comfortable. And then all of a sudden you're imposter again, because now the company's bigger and you've never run a company mm. this big before. We both bring different strengths and weaknesses into the business. And at the end of the day, the decision is always based on what is going to be best for the business. Mm -hmm. Our friendship always being number one priority. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfillment along the way. Hello, lovely neighborhood. We are back this week with another guest episode in a row. And for those of you who are here purely for Ange, which I wouldn't even be offended about, don't worry. She'll be back next week. We've already recorded the next Years of Our Lives episode. But I'm just squeezing this one in this week because you might have seen on socials, we have finally brought back our wearable yay jewelry collection that's been going for Gosh, I think it's over four years now. Who would have thought we collaborated over four years ago with a beautiful business in the neighborhood that we actually met through one of our very first meetups in Sydney. It's just such a beautiful story. So the gorgeous G and Claire from Ellen Road Jewelry came to us, yeah, four years ago and we created the idea that you could wear affirmations of yay that brought you joy and made you smile throughout the day and take them wherever you went. So even if you won't listen to the podcast all the time, you could wear those affirmations Affirmations on your body. We released two beautiful necklaces, the Radiance and the Tidal, and the Radiance has sold out, I think maybe six or seven, maybe even eight times. We took a little break just to see what would happen because it had been four years, and we got so many requests that this week we have finally brought the Radiance back to life, but added two new pieces to the set, and that's two different sets of earrings, the Sunbeam and the Solaris that we've been working on for a couple of years now, and I realized I'd never had the girls on the show to tell the story of how we created these pieces, how we met, how they started the business, because when I met them, they weren't full-time. This was still a side hustle. It was a very, very early stage of their journey and a very, very early stage of mine as well, and you know I talk about it all the time. Now that I've had the podcast for over four years, oh my goodness, time has flown. It also means I've known people or businesses or guests for long enough to have traced through several chapters with them and witnessed that along the way. So it's been so beautiful to watch them go from a side hustle to Claire going full-time to G then joining her full-time and watching the business grow. So I can't believe it's taken me this long to tell this story (laughs) to get the girls on. I don't even know why we didn't do it the first time, but it is high time. I will let them tell you the story themselves because of course they do it so much better, but I felt you needed to have the full back 
background to the beautiful pieces of jewelry that we have since launched, how we design them, how their skills are complementary, how they started the business, how it all kind of works behind the scenes. I didn't even know gemology was an actual thing. I mean, it's a whole niche community. You guys know I froth that stuff. So anyway, I will let them tell you the story themselves. We talk so much that we didn't actually get that much into the process of how we designed these pieces. That's also been shared on socials. And of course, the links to the jewelry will be in the show notes. And as always, they are limited pieces. So hopefully you all can get your hands on some. Everyone who wants one can get some, but do get in quick because as we have seen, they sell out way faster than we ever expected. And it's just been the greatest privilege to see all of you out in the community, out and about wearing your pieces of yay. So I hope that you enjoy this one as much as I did and find it as inspiring as I have as well, watching them just go in leaps and bounds or grow in leaps and bounds. And if there are any other yayborhood businesses out there who want to partner and do the same thing, I mean, it's, yeah, the great privilege is getting to meet so many of you through this show. So I will stop myself there. I'm rambling. This is what happens when I'm here by myself without anyone else. And I will introduce you and hand you over to the incredible G and Claire. Elle and Ro team, welcome to Seize the Yay! Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. It's crazy because we're part of the Yayborhood. So mm-hmm. to be on your podcast is like such a full circle dream come true moment. Oh my gosh, that is so lovely. It really is like a beautiful full circle moment that still like guys just before we came on air we were talking about how we originally met like before we'd partnered together and these like moments are the reason why the neighborhood makes me so happy like it's the magic when I'm just like yes this is why we do this it's so nice to be a part of it it really is like I remember I used to listen to your podcast religiously traveling to my full-time job like on the bus traveling an hour into the city and just for us to be on the other end and actually be on it now is huge. (gasps) That's so special and I think the other thing now that it's been like at the beginning of the podcast it was novelty and I was learning so much and it was amazing but now that it's been long enough to have met people while they're still in their full-time jobs and then have actually traced the relationship through jumping in full time and watching the business grow and then kind of growing with you as well and like our first partnership versus our partnership now and watching how your business has like grown exponentially is so exciting and fulfilling like I can't even tell you how much it makes my heart just explode oh thank you and like you've even been through like a rebrand, like the, we've been through so much together. We really <laughs> have. <laughs> so maybe before we get started, we could just explain, yeah, how we met that very first dinner date that we had <laughs> and like, and yeah, and introduce yourselves before we go back to the beginning to explain how you got there. Amazing. Okay. Well, how we actually met is, I mean, I think you put in your Facebook group that you were coming yeah. to Sydney for a dinner and you said does anybody want to come and I was like I want to come and I yeah. want to bring my friend yeah. <laughs> and then I text you and I'm like you need to come to this dinner with yeah. me <laughs> oh my gosh that was such a lovely dinner I think there were like maybe 10 of us or like it was, it was very intimate yeah. yeah and and it was just like none of us had met before a lot of people came on their own and like obviously we made friendships that now like four or five years later post a whole pandemic like we're still friends yeah right. exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah I've got a heap of the girls on Instagram still I follow yeah. them all <laughs> yeah from the same event yeah, it's yeah. Like, oh, we always remember yeah, yeah. And they buy from us too which <gasps> is so cool yeah yeah oh my gosh so did you guys have the business then already I think you 
did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it was very early, I think. Very early. Yeah. 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 Okay. So before we get into the story and about the business and how you guys met and the love story behind that, because obviously we've we've just been through our love story, but you guys have your (laughs) own. (laughs) You know that I start every episode with the most down to earth thing about you because while you guys are feeling like you know, you remember your journey and this is a full circle moment for you. I'm sure there are so many people who look at Ellen Rowe and from the outside are like, oh my God, these girls are so established. They've got this huge business. You've got all these customers. You're bringing out new ranges. Like I think when you're the one who runs the business, you can't see it in all its glory. Like you just see the shit that goes on behind the scenes and you're like, it's just us too. Like it's not a big deal. But to other people, it looks so glamorous. Your shoots are so beautiful. And I would love to know, like, what's the most normal, relatable thing about you, but from each other? Okay. Okay. (laughs) That's a twist. I mean, we're both so relatable. We're just normal, everyday people that thought we're going to start a business and here we are now, which we'll get into later. But I think for Claire, I'll say her clumsiness. (laughs) Yes. I think I pick a fight with a piece of furniture every day. Like I was showing Dee all these mysterious bruises just before we came on. Oh, my God. Girls and mysterious bruises is like a hashtag. Yeah. Well, surely. They're my people. (laughs) Started by you, obviously. (laughs) I wish. And she's really fidgety. Fidgety. I'm spinning my bracelet. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Which is so interesting. Yeah. Because as someone who's like in jewellery and such delicate, fine, intricate things to be like clumsy and fidgeting in clumsiness just doesn't sound like it goes. (laughs) True. But I think like that was, jewellery was my fidgeting. So like as a kid, Mm -hmm. I would make jewellery in front of the TV because I can't just sit there. Like I had to be doing something with my hands and I'm still like that. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's cool. Okay, we'll come back to that. (laughs) What is the most normal, relatable, and maybe even like it's kind of exciting when the down-to-earth thing is embarrassing as well. What does G do that's kind of weird? What do you do that's weird? don't know. I mean, she's a really, oh, you're getting better, but she has been a really picky eater. So that's the most relatable thing about her is she can't do different condiments and it's really (laughs) hard to eat with her anywhere. Mayo is not my friend and don't even ask me. Wow. Or mustard, it's not for me. (laughs) She's a tomato sauce girl through and through. (laughs) So no mixing condiments like those people who do hot dogs with mustard and sauce, that's a definite. No. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Is it texture or is it taste? Like No, it's flavour as well. But that's something like as an adult I feel like I have like a child's palate. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So a bland not bland, but just like, yeah, there's certain textures and flavours that I just can't do. Don't do olives, like no oysters or anything like that. Mm. Mayo, absolutely not. Mustard, no. She's getting better though because she used to just be like white condiments, just like the whole thing is cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> like, she wouldn't even try them. Yeah. Now we're like, how about like aioli, like a little bit of something else. doesn't have to be Red mayo. dressing is okay. Red, yep. <laughs> Oh, my God, leaps and bounds. He's growing. <laughs> That's a really big part of a path, yay, right, is like being open-minded. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Last year I had to just get over myself and go, okay, <laughs> we're trying all these things. Like I like spicy foods now, raw fish, yep. so I'm getting better. Yep, mm-hmm. artichokes. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. 
Interestingly, people who have been listening for a long time probably know from the episodes with Nick that I've done that I was you when we started dating. So very bland, grew up on like meat and three veg and like maybe noodles, but mostly (laughs) just like potato and sausages and chops and stuff. And he's been like spices and he traveled a lot. So like, you know, really interesting combinations and like uh, like everything mixed together. And I was like, ugh, sashimi, like, ugh, and like, yeah. I couldn't eat mushrooms. They were whole because they freaked me out. But if they yeah. were cut, like it was okay yeah. for some reason. And he's like, do you know if you bite a mushroom, it's a cut mushroom? Yeah, I'm the same. And like tomatoes, I have to scoop out all the gooey insides and just yes. have like the skin and like finely chopped. There you go. I go out and order a bruschetta and I'm yeah. like, I don't understand. <laughs> but, you know, you're, you're coming a long way. You've, you're onto oh, yeah. spicy. <laughs> Artichoke, that's huge. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so on to your real accomplishments in life. <laughs> Before we get to how you guys met and how the business started, I'd love to go back to your separate childhoods, like the very, very early beginnings. And, you know, Clay, you were saying you were fidgeting in front of the TV. Like I think it's so interesting what you think you might be when you're younger and like your first jobs or your first part-time jobs and hopes and dreams and stuff. And then like years later to marry up where you ended up and if it resembles anything of what you thought. So can you guys take turns and take us back to to your childhoods and what you thought you'd be? Can you go first? Oh, yeah, sure. I can go first. Okay, my childhood, my I feel like my path has been so straight. Mm-hmm. Like I started beating as a kid. I grew up, I've got two older brothers and my parents and we grew up in a very small like coastal town. So there's nothing to do on the weekends except go to the beach. And if it's <laughs> raining, there's like nothing, nothing to do. So I always was fidgeting, always got into jewellery making, and I just never grew out of it. I would always like sell it at markets on the weekend. My mum would invite her friends over and set up like little jewellery like shows for me so that I could sell it to all her friends. <laughs> Bless her friends for coming and spending yeah. their money on terrible, <laughs> untold beaded jewellery. <laughs> vintage now yeah (laughs) yeah please don't show me I never want to see that again (laughs) we definitely need photo evidence (laughs) to show how far you've come no my grandma will have some I'm sure (laughs) (laughs) yeah I honestly it's been so straight like I Mm. every school holidays my mum would always put me into like creative beading classes or weaving classes or something that kind of like went along with jewelry So when, for me, when I got to like year nine and we had to choose our work experience, my mum was like, maybe you should try doing it at a jeweler's or something and try like the manufacturing side. So from then, uh, yeah, I've done work experience there. And then I, it was just kind of like, I don't want to go to uni. I want a jeweler's apprenticeship. And like the whole way through, it's just been like, I'm going to have my own jewelry brand one day and that's it. Oh my gosh, that is so cool because so often on this show it's about I started here and then I thought I'd be this and then I had a pivot and I didn't know and, you know, I always say it's so rare that people know what they want to do when they're five and then they actually do it. Like not all pathways (laughs) are like that. But, of course, some people's pathways are like that and that's amazing. Yeah, I mean completely opposite from Jizo because she probably is the same. She's like just Mm -hmm. ended up in jewellery. Pivoted everywhere. (laughs) Like it was pretty straightforward. I mean... Yeah. yeah, but then you had to find like where you could do a jewellery apprenticeship as well and yes. move away from home at a young age. That's true. To yeah. like dream and, you yeah. know, live with barely any money on an apprentice's wage and yeah, that navigate was that fun. whole 
part of life and season of life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also the fact that, you know, a lot of people who have really creative endeavours when they're younger, even if they're really good at it, they either have family pressure or pressure from themselves or societal pressure to sort of give up that hobby, you know, in inverted commas, in favour of like, okay, but, you know, settle down. Like what's your career going to be now? But I love that you did go on this straight pathway and we're like, no, there's nothing else. Like that kind of is as brave as someone doing something else first and then changing to just stick to your guns and be like, there was nothing else for me. Yeah. Well, my parents were incredible with that in terms of like, that was my interest. So they lent in hard to that. They put me in more like beating classes or workshops or different things in the school holidays. They like drove me down to Sydney to see the TAFE that I could potentially go to, to like to go to the open day of where if I got an apprenticeship, like this would be my TAFE. This is where I'd have to come. Like they were really good (laughs) in leading me, but also finding out a way that my hobby could become a career. So they were kind of researching and, okay, you can become a jeweler, but what do you have to do to do that? And if you don't get an apprenticeship, is there somewhere you can study that at university? So we kind of went down all the pathways and I got into a university to study jewelry manufacture, but my apprenticeship came through in the end. So we did that instead. Yeah, which is really cool because your parents are both teachers so have very traditional careers yeah so for them to encourage you to go that way and be creative is I think so cool Mm -hmm. like it's creative but it's still an apprenticeship so it's still like a trade like yeah you can still work with that you're not just off like making jewelry yourself being like I'm gonna make something it's like (laughs) oh but there there is a career behind that somewhere (laughs) but that's also really cool that you know I think one of the things I get really excited about in the neighborhood is the jobs that everyone interacts with like everyone buys jewelry or wears jewelry or has walked past a jeweler like no one doesn't know what that is but if you ask most people how do you become a jeweler like two teachers wouldn't know off the top of their heads how to do that. It's so interesting that I feel like sharing this, if there's a young child or a mother of a young child listening whose kid is into beading and they're sort of like, oh, that's not a career path. Like if they might hear this and go, it is like you can do this qualification and you can, you know, there are options. Yeah, exactly. So my pathway is very different. (laughs) I always wanted to work. Like ever since I was a young kid, I just remember thinking, I want to work, I want to have independence financially, have my own money and eventually work for myself. I didn't know, of course, what that looked like, but my dad always owned businesses and kind of was in and out of different businesses, quite creative in that way. My mum is a nurse, so she's also got a traditional career. And at 14 and nine months when I was old enough to get a job, I was straight down to the local bargain store, put my resume in, (laughs) got the job. (laughs) And it kind of started from there. And I was really shy as a kid too. So having that first job was so transformational for me to come out of my shell, talk to people that weren't my friends. And it really, I think, like changed everything for me. And that kind of set the tone, I guess. And It was just always working and earning money and I did like work experience at like the local news agency and that was really kind of tech-based with the computers and stuff like that. Through school I studied IT and business. So I guess that was kind of always happening in the background for me. Always like love computers and tech, business. And then from there I applied to FBI Fashion School, which is in Sydney. Amazing. I did my like fashion business diploma through there. I'd seen like an advert in a magazine. I'm like, that's me. 
it's business, it's fashion, it's combining my two interests. And, yeah, so I studied there for two years. I interned at a production company and worked on photo shoots for, like, Portman's and Sports Girl and stuff like that, which was really fun. Being, like, 19, 20, like, in that whole world was so (laughs) eye-opening. Worked at Australian Fashion Week and then through those connections I got an internship at a PR agency in Sydney and then I was working at Target as well. (laughs) There were so many things. And then the internship transitioned into a full-time job once I'd finished my studies. And then from there, tragically, a friend of mine had passed away from suicide. So I had to kind of like cut my life in Sydney. It was just all too much. I was just so young and it was just a really heavy time. So I'd moved back home and then I was there for about eight months and decided, oh, I need change. A friend offered me to move to Newcastle. And then I needed a job. A friend of mine had worked in real estate and I thought that's a good job. I can kind of go wherever I I need to go. Like I don't have to be stuck. It's not so niche. I can kind of move around if I want to. It's flexible. And then, yeah, got a job in real estate and I worked that for the past sort of 12 years. Wow. Yeah. So I did property management, like marketing, sales, kind of a, a broad range of things over that time and a few different companies as well. And then... We started Ellen Rowe probably halfway into that career and, yeah, that's kind of where – and now I'm in Ellen Rowe full-time, so we both are, but, yeah. That's so exciting, but I think it's so cool that you came to it from different directions and with different motivations and backgrounds because, firstly, that makes an amazing business partnership to have, like, diverse experience and diverse skills. But also just as an example for anyone listening, like, there are so many different ways to end up in the same place – yeah. Yes. You know, one of you woke up one day and was like, I'm always going to, you know, end up in that situation in one form or another. And the other one was like, well, I've kind of done many different industries in many different places and it's only been twists and turns. And, you know, I also love the idea that your real estate career was like, I think there's so much in this day and age and I'm probably not amazing at, like I contribute to this probably a lot, that idea that you need to have a complete fulfillment in your dream job all the time but you didn't go into real estate necessarily because you woke up when you were five and were like, I love property. Like I'm going to become a real (laughs) estate manager. You know, it was like an accident and you moved for other reasons and then you needed to work because that's the reality of life. And then you found, you fell into something that that was cool for you for a chapter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I really enjoyed it while I did it. And I was really stoked with that career. And there's, I learned so many skills doing that career that have like fed into what I'm doing now. And I think that sort of goes across everything that I've done. Like I've picked a bunch of different skills through all those careers and jobs and I still use so many of those today to Mm -hmm. have run this business, which is really cool. And that also comes back to that whole idea that nothing you ever do is a waste. Like you wouldn't think real estate would necessarily translate directly into a jewellery, you know, small business that's one's corporate, like they're just so unrelated on the face of it, but like all your skills have been transferable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so many transferable skills. Yeah, and I'm very grateful for going through that path. It's a long story, I feel like, but it all matters and I'm glad it's happened that way. I'm like really thankful that that was my path. So how then does a gemologist and a real estate agent (laughs) meet and then become good enough friends 
to have an idea and then actually, I mean, so many people have ideas, but the actual execution and seeing that through to a reality that then actually lasts and stays open, survives a pandemic and is still here to this day and your friendship is still here to this day, like that's no mean feat. So how did that all begin? So when I'd moved to Newcastle, Claire was already living there doing her apprenticeship. We grew up in the same area, so I knew her brothers, but I didn't know Claire. She went to a different school. I was also younger and I'm not allowed to hang out with my brother's friend. <laughs> yeah. Youngest is to vibe where I'm yeah. like, guys, you want me? <laughs> I know I didn't actually know that she existed. I just knew the two, her two brothers. Yeah, but um, when we moved to Newcastle, I like I didn't have friends and my brothers were already there. So they let me like come and hang with the group. Yeah, we went to a house. <laughs> we both were at the same house party and we met there because it was all mutual friends. And then we just clicked straight away and I think like the next week we were organising to hang out. Yeah. And it's just been like that ever since. Yeah. We moved in together when we were in Newcastle yeah. as well. So we lived together for a while. Yeah. Like, we just, yeah, we had the best time. And we had the best time. Early 20s, just yeah. like living it up. Oh, yeah. my God. A newy house party. Who would have thought? Yeah, I Honestly. Know. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty random. But, yeah, we had a lot of friends who... A lot of my friends were living there and then, yeah, Claire's brothers and then you still knew a lot of the girls. Yeah. So, yeah, it all came together and it was kind of just like divine intervention almost in a way or divine timing. Yeah. Wow. I think I really needed a friend like that too at that time because it was so hard. (laughs) Like losing another friend and like just going through so many transitions in life and moving to a new place. So just falling into that friendship felt like really safe and fun, like, if you know Claire, she is the life of the party. Like she's just so light and fun and like just a good loyal friend as well. So it was it just yeah. That's really nice. <laughs> 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 <Tell> you, though. <laughs> but this is the other lovely thing about getting to do interviews with business partners and friends is that you guys never stop in your day-to-day work to like talk to each other about how you met and what you thought of each other and reflect on the journey and how far you've come. So this is so sweet because usually people get really awkward. They're like, you're being really nice to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we practice a lot of like words of affirmation and stuff with each other too because obviously there's so many hard days. So telling each other what we're thankful for and saying that they're like, you know, a warrior and a boss and all those things like that's really important for us, I think, on a daily basis. Yeah, we always so we're not messages. that awkward about it. Yeah, no, yeah. We're, it's a constant message. Just like grateful for you. Like, could not do this without you. Just yeah. because, yeah, it gets a lot. And the other person always like when things get tough for us, we've worked out a really good way of just stepping in for each other. And like, if something's going on, G's just like, yeah, I've got you. Like, you do whatever you need to do, and like, yeah. I'll take it from here, and I'll like steam ahead. So we're pretty yeah, good and at vice that. versa. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure how it all came together. Obviously I thought it was super interesting that Claire was a jeweler because I'd never heard of that myself. Like how do you, what the heck is that? <laughs> like how did you get into that? Tell me everything. <laughs> and then I was always a lover of jewellery. So I always like had on all like the LaVisa jewellery or equipped jewellery and like costume <laughs> jewellery all the time. So I always loved it, always wore it. So I guess I'm our consumer in a way. Right. And yeah. when we lived together, there was like always parcels turning up for G. And one <laughs> yeah. day like she bought a bracelet <laughs> online and she spent like $100 on it and it, yeah. it was horrible quality. And I just was like, I can't believe like you've wasted so much money on that. But she just didn't know. I didn't know. And I was like, maybe we could. <laughs> I actually read that it was born out of like, 
a terrible piece of jewelry that you guys were like, this is not okay. Yeah, it literally turned green within a week. It was like made out of brass and it was, but I didn't know. I just liked the style of it. Yeah. That's where I was at and I didn't know any different. Yeah. And I being such a poor apprentice, like I knew my whole way through that I'm going to have my own company. I'm going to have my own jewelry brand. But I couldn't afford any of the jewelry I was doing because it was all engagement rings, wedding rings, fine jewelry, diamonds. I was earning like $200 a week as an apprentice. So I'm like, oh, I can afford that. And living out of home, like I was dirt poor. (laughs) (laughs) And so when we kind of were looking at it, like maybe we can fit something in and they're like, brand but like quality brand in that lower kind of you know better than costume jewelry but lower than fine jewelry sort of point yeah that was affordable and accessible for people exactly like us Mm -hmm. at the time too yeah yeah so that's how it was born (laughs) we sat on the idea for quite a while yeah because then Claire then went and studied gemology I did I moved to Sydney and I started studying again yeah and if you don't know gemology I was going to say, okay, so as a jeweler, I feel like a lot of people on the outside would just think you source jewelry that's made and you sell it. Like in in a jewelry store, you think about like jewels in the case and then the person comes and sells them. But the idea that someone has to design it, manufacture it, put it together, know the stones, know the metals, like I think there's the disconnect between what people think of when they go in a jewelry store versus what you actually do. So tell us about that bit and then the difference between like your apprenticeship as a jeweler versus like the gemology part of it. Yeah, okay. My apprenticeship as a jeweler was all about learning how to physically make the jewelry, so design it, make it, but it's metalwork, right? It's metalwork on a tiny, tiny scale. Predominantly it was like engagement and wedding rings and then those sorts of pieces, like more heirloom jewelry, I'd say, people remaking, you know, their family's pieces. But my creative side didn't want to just keep making like straight wedding bands anymore. And that's like where I started getting really into the design side of things as well and starting to make our own pieces that ended up eventually becoming Ellen Rowe. But when I moved to Sydney, I actually left manufacturing and I was working in a jewellery store, but I was running the service department. So I was doing all of the repairs and all of the like watch repairs, things like that. And I started studying gemology through there because I wanted to know more about stones. I wanted to be able to get into valuing originally. I wanted to be able to tell what was a diamond, what wasn't, what was a ruby, what was synthetic. Like I wanted to be able to tell all of that apart. So that's when I yeah started yeah. studying gemology and that was a couple of years. And then I did diamond grading with that. So yeah. Oh my God. See, even like laying out the landscape of an industry to outsiders who don't actually understand where things fit, like that to me alone is like a whole new world that I find so interesting. Like that grading one type of stone is like a different qualification. You know, like that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah so interesting. There's so many different parts to it. Yeah. And there's so much science in it. Like, mm-hmm. a, you know, chemistry, obviously the forming of the stones, but then a lot of geology as well, where they're formed, how they come to the surface. Are they mined? Do they come up in a volcano? Like there's just all these different <laughs> things <laughs> that is just so fascinating. So I get quite passionate about gemstones. <laughs> weird really (laughs) it's not at all like this is your yay and like hearing people talk about their yay even if it's not your yay is like so motivating because for people who haven't found that yet 
it's so amazing to hear that like, sure, it could be in teaching or law or medicine or conventional normal things, or it could be in gems and that could become a career where you get to actually use that every day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's been super helpful, obviously, with us running it or starting a business, designing and going through that whole process to have actually Claire's qualification and professionalism to be able to do that because I don't know a thing when it comes to quality. <laughs> I mean, I've obviously learned now. now. <laughs> I've learned now and how important the quality really is. So, yeah, that's what I think a point of difference too for our business. It's we're not just, you know, two people that are like, oh, we like jewellery, let's just start a brand. Like we actually have like a passion yeah, and like expertise in that field as well. Yeah, there's a lot of people like reselling jewellery they buy off Alibaba and I think that's one of the big things that we have come across that we have to kind of like counteract because like no we like we actually know please trust us I know that like a lot of people have been burnt because of these things but we're like you can trust us yeah and so many brands saying like you know they're waterproof oh anti-tarnish when you look at their quality and we're like you're actually not though yeah like oh my gosh okay how do we educate people to go well this is what the difference is with the material they're using and the quality that their pieces are in comparison to ours and why ours actually are those things. Yeah. So that can be a bit of a challenge. Well, I think that's why it's so beautiful now that you've been around long enough that people have worn their pieces for that long and like put them to the test. Like even with our necklaces that we brought out together, like when we first brought them out, people, you know, of course wore them a lot, but now it's been enough years since we did the first ones that people don't need to ever buy them again when they get re-released because they're like, mine's still exactly how it was when I bought it. Yeah. Which is a great thing in business, but it's also like hard because we're like, no, but like you, you might, maybe you need earrings now. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> okay. So I think one of the most interesting things for a lot of people listening is obviously everything that you do now and how you got there. But the bit that people skate over all the time is the bit where you had an idea and you went from zero, like one day you weren't business owners and you didn't have an entity and you weren't selling to strangers and you weren't like officially a thing. And then the next day you have a business. And that's the bit that I think is the biggest hurdle for most people. Once you started, you know, you kind of have to keep going just to keep up with it. But it's the bit where you're just like, shit, we're actually going to do this together. And like you guys had full-time jobs. So yeah. what was that for you? <laughs> I think like I had text Jean and asked her if she wanted to do it with me and she'd said yes, but it was like a, in a couple of years or in a year, like once I finished <laughs> studying, like the studying was quite full on because I was still working yeah. full-time and then I was studying nights. I'd moved away <laughs> yeah, as well and then we'd eventually come back together. But mm-hmm. But when I was studying, I was procrastinating and I started Instagram without G. (laughs) Instagram was the first bit. And I didn't know about it until. I kept it a secret for so long. I think we had about five or 10,000 followers. And I was like, oh, I best tell her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's like, so I've done a thing. Oh my God. But I, I think sometimes it is just like reserving the domain name or starting the Instagram. Like that's the, you need to take a step that like rips a bit of the band aid off. So you kind of force like, oh, well, it's not going to stick back down now. Like I got to kind of like lift it all the way. Yeah, exactly. And having that Instagram was such an incredible tool because we could see what people, like Claire was posting inspo pics. And it was just a mood board Instagram. Like yeah. it was 2015, maybe. 
Yeah. Was it something like that? 14? Yeah. yeah. So it was just like one of those, like, you know, it was basically a Pinterest board on Instagram, which everybody was doing at the time, but people were telling us what they liked and what they didn't like. Yeah. And I could, we could kind of analyze it and be like, okay, like the moonstone ring got so much more than like the black stone. So Engagement. like, okay, yeah. they don't like that. Like they do like this. And just kind of, we took it from there. Yeah. It really gave us an insight into what people were after and maybe what was missing in the market too. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah. we started completely differently because we just wanted to start. So we actually started yeah. as a, like stockers of other brands as well. So when we first oh. started UH, which was what we were called back then, we bought other people's jewellery and we sold it on ours yeah. with the aim, I guess, of releasing our own collection but starting somewhere using all their photo shoot images and everything because we couldn't afford any of that, seeing what styles people liked, being able to like order minimums rather than having like huge minimums for when we're producing our own pieces. Yeah, we were able to start almost on a smaller scale and much more affordable Mm -hmm. at that point because we each invested like maybe three or four grand or something at the beginning. Right. didn't have much. So we are like, okay, so how do we start this? How can we make it work? So being able to order, you know, three to five pieces from somebody else rather than, you know, 30 to 50 or 100 from a manufacturer, use their images, that seemed a lot more like realistic, I guess, for where we were at. Yeah. Mm. Oh, my God. So I love this because, and thank you for sharing your figures as well because I feel like that's something that's a bit taboo and like people are quite private about it, but it really helps people who are aspiring to do what you do to understand that you don't actually need a million dollars to start a startup and you also don't need it to look how you want it to look in the end at the start like it you've got to start somewhere and we did that like with Matcha Maiden we only had one product for four years because you didn't need to have the you know 12 or 50 SKUs that we ended up with and if we had started with those we wouldn't have got off the ground because we wouldn't have had enough money and it all would have failed and like like it's just such an interesting reminder for everyone that you know dream big but like start with what's actually achievable in the time that you have with the resources that you have and your audience will grow with you like you don't need to give them 50 options on day one yeah 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 exactly and I think if we had if we would have been so overwhelmed in terms of like we didn't have any infrastructure right so like if we had to figure out like what website platform we were going to use and we're on Shopify um, like we had to figure that out, how to pack the orders, the label maker, like how we use Australia <laughs> to generate the labels. There's so many things that go into it, like re- register a business name and there's so many things that go into all of that process that we were like, we just need to take it one step at a time, just start and then we can grow and scale like through the process. Yeah. Which is like the most important thing I think you can tell anyone who wants to start their own thing is that baby steps will still get you there and, you know, you don't want to take steps that are too big that you haven't grown into them because also you guys never worked together before. Like you need time to figure stuff out and I really want to get into the splitting of roles and how you kind of covered everything that the business needs between the two of you and worked out, like you mentioned, your conflict resolution is really good now, your support of each other in burnout and that's a massive thing. But first, can you just give us a bit of a chronology then of how you went from like, like how many SKUs did you start with? How long from there to your first self-manufactured items? How long from there until like full-time? 
like one of you than the other and kind of the time relationship of the big milestones to now both be full-time with how many SKUs you have now so that people can see how it's developed and also the name change when that came in. Yeah. Okay. I think, so we started in March of 2017 Mm -hmm. uh, when we first launched, we had like 20 SKUs, I want to say, but I don't think we had many units of each SKU. I think it was like, it was pretty small. It was like three average, I'd say. Yeah. Of each SKU. Yeah. We didn't start with a lot. It was just kind of like, it was a side thing on the side and we'll just kind of gradually build it up while we're both working full time. I love that because we did that with like limited edition things that we were just testing. We'd get like, we'd just make up a random flavor and we make like seven and then it'd be like sold out wow yes. <laughs> it's a great marketing strategy. it is a great marketing strategy yeah. <laughs> scarcity model <laughs> exactly but I think it wasn't until it was March 2019 two years later when we launched Ellen Row separately but we yeah. we launched our first collection of that but it was actually a brand that we were stocking on our other business. Although it was our first collection that we designed all our own pieces and we were also wholesaling that. So that was kind of like it's a separate baby, but we were still stocking it on the original QH collection. So it just kind of looked like we'd added in another brand. Yeah. So it was kind of running, trying to figure out how to run a business and then starting another one (laughs) and going, oh my God, what do we do here? I think we texted each other one day and was like, I think we need to kind of go one way or the other yeah. because we're still trying to figure out how to run a business. A lot of the time we're winging it because we don't know what we're doing and Googling and, you know, speaking to mentors and lots of podcasts and things like that to try and learn what to do. So trying to do that twice was really difficult and stressful at the time. Yeah. And we knew we wanted to have our own designs and that was our business goal. So eventually we kind of sold through the QH stock and then like really leaned into Ellen Rowe. But that was even interesting because we were still, as you said, like trying to work out our job roles. Like we came into the business. I was saying straight up, I'm the creative side. I want to design the jewelry and then give it to you. And you're the business side. You just sell it. I don't know how, (laughs) but you just like work that out. Yeah. (laughs) And I was happy with that. I had like a bit of a background in business and PR and working in real estate and kind of just having an an understanding, I guess, of Mm -hmm. how that side of things worked. And then we both weren't enjoying what we were doing and totally switched. (gasps) Yeah. I still do all the jewelry and stock design, but I'm like logistics and operations. I do finance. Like I'm the business side now. And G is all of our like marketing, branding, like everything creative. Yeah. (gasps) Oh my God. But even that is so cool because you as business owners have developed together and the business has developed, but as individuals, you've like kind of what you think are your skills and weaknesses are often either don't align with what you like doing or like you just suddenly find yourself in areas that I thought I was the numbers person because Nick in our normal life is like, don't even engage with the bank accounts or the budget or the anything. (laughs) But in the business, I like ended up being the fluffy Lala person and never even, he was like, does it make money? Like, are there margins? And I was like, I don't know. It looks pretty. Like, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) And that division is really cool how you fall into, like you eventually work out where your role is supposed to be. And that can change. Exactly. Yeah. And it took time and we just figured out what we really like to do because at the end of the day, 
we're building this business so we can like really like lean into our passions and enjoy what we do and it be long term and we don't want to have burnout because you hate your job and mm-hmm. all those other things so to have enjoyment in what we actually do was super important yeah. and we kind of just figured that out as we went along yeah yeah so when did you go full-time like what was the gap between starting and then becoming your own like exclusively Ellen Rowe self-designed and then one of you going full-time and then both of you going full-time and also in that how you decided that because I think that's a big question that people ask is like, when do you know it's time to make the jump? Do you know? Do you have to take a leap of faith? When do both of you get to do that? And do you also like financially, do you wait until you can sustain a wage or do you need to jump so that you can sustain a wage? Okay. Great question. <laughs> so we launched our Ellen Rowe collection March, 2019. And then at the end of 2019, I quit my full-time job and I went in full-time that was not as prepared. <laughs> yeah, we had burnout with her job. I was just so unhappy there. I was yeah. like spending two hours a day just catching the bus into the city and I just hated it. There were some other yeah. things going on at work that I was just kind of like, you know what, I'm out. Even if I take six months, like six months off completely and I just try and see if Ellen Rowe can become a thing, then like yeah. that's it. Worst case, I don't earn money for six months. Like I was fortunate that I have a very supportive partner and we had yeah. savings so I was kind of like, I'm good, I'll just try it. So the business wasn't paying Claire in the beginning when no. she went in full-time? Yes. So, she, yeah, she lived off savings and Mitch helped you. I lived off my boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Which was amazing. And he was so supportive. He was like, quit your job. We can work it out. It's absolutely fine. I know you can do this. Like he's such a good support. Yeah. And like pushed you because you were obviously, it's hard to make that decision because you have financial independence and like that's been important to you as well. Mm -hmm. So to be losing that was obviously a difficult transition. Yeah. But to have someone so supportive, I think was obviously made all the difference. Yeah. It was fantastic. Like, I mean, it was the end of 2019. So then the world shut down in early 2020. Yeah. And I I panicked so much. I was like, what have I done? And Mitch was like, nobody will hire you now anyway. (laughs) So you may as well just keep going. And I was like, okay, (laughs) thank you. And yeah, we turned it around really quickly. Like, COVID ended up being fantastic for an online business. Yeah, I mean, huge. it was our horrible best for everybody else, but fantastic <laughs> yeah. for anybody with an online business because everybody was shopping online. So, yeah, that was and gifting incredible. as well. Yeah, you know, thinking of you and, and gifting mm-hmm. jewelry and things like that as a sentiment. So, we were super lucky and obviously so thankful that yeah. it worked out in that way. But G didn't come on until last year. Yeah, last year. We ended up having a couple of staff before G. Yeah. And then we were like, okay, we need to change things around because you're still working full time. This is ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah, Claire came in, wasn't being paid a wage. But when I was coming in, my circumstances are a bit different. It's like, okay, I need to be paid a wage to be able to come into the business full time. So, this is kind of, this is the wage, I guess, is the minimum that I need to be paid can we work it out? Mm-hmm. And we kind of sat on those numbers and had a meeting with our accountant and said, can we work this out? Because I was getting burnout too. Doing two things essentially full-time was a lot. And the goal, of course, was always to go into the business full-time. We were getting to a point where we were both stretched so thin, something had to change. Yeah. 
the business was just getting so much momentum as well. Yeah. We had full-time packing staff and somebody creating content and we had like a couple of different people doing things. We yeah. had a bunch of freelancers and somebody running our paid advertising as well. But I was managing everything in the business, the wholesale side, the bank accounts, everything, and all these people. And G still yeah. wasn't in. And we're like, can we just like configure who we're paying and work things out a bit differently? Because mm-hmm. there's five of us, but you're not one of them. <laughs> like, this is stupid. <laughs> yeah. And that was, yeah, that was so hard because not working together to be able to have strategies and meetings and mm-hmm. really be able to like forge forward was we were kind of at a bit of a bottleneck in the business, not being able to have that time together to yeah. be able to really do that. All of our decisions were so much slower as well because it was like, I'll email G and she'll get back to me tonight if she's not too tired or doesn't work too late. If not, it'll be like after her work in a couple of days. Yeah. And photo shoots, we've got to plan everything for a weekend, like when mm-hmm. she's not working and everything was just kind of slow and hard towards yeah. the end and we were just like, no, we've got to make the change now. Yeah. It's so interesting how I feel like a lot of the time the big question is like when is the time for a change? It's not that people are not willing to make a change. They just don't know when the right time is or like, is it now or is it, can I wait longer? And it's really just like discomfort. Like as soon as something just starts to not work, then you're sort of pushed by the situation to make a decision. And that's usually when you tell, like if you start to get fidgety and something's not, if there's a pain point, that's Mm -hmm. usually a sign to like rejig something to kind of work it out. But now that you have both, which is so amazing, like a lot of businesses never get to the stage where they can sustain both founders in a relatively short amount of time and still be doing so much, doing collaborations. You've done a whole rebrand. Like we've been able to work together. Having not run businesses before, like, you know, a massive theme on CZA is self-doubt. And you mentioned before that you both kind of take turns in encouraging each other and, you know, Claire, your partner, like they're they're kind of sometimes the unsung heroes that they're the ones who you come home and have your breakdowns to and like are helping you in the background. How is the whole managing your confidence, even when you do have like failures or setbacks or just burnout and hard days or in conflict with each other, Like what have been the really hard parts of running a business and then how kind of do you combat those things? I think self-doubt is a huge thing for us. Yeah, that's been really hard. And imposter syndrome too. Like Mm -hmm. it's our own business but it's like I don't belong here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everything you do is new, right? Like every Mm. stage you get to, you're like get to a point you're like I've never run a company of this size before. So you're just kind of like working it out as you're going and getting a little bit comfortable and then all of a sudden you're imposter again because now the company's bigger and you've never run a company this big before. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just constant, I think. That's something that we've really struggled with. I've struggled a lot with mindset, especially when I first came on and I was so isolated I'm like Mm -hmm. used to being surrounded by people but then I was working by myself I was locked in my house with COVID the only person I was seeing was my partner when he'd get home Mm -hmm. and I think the self-doubt that you have when you've got more time to think about it yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's like a next level self-doubt so that's that was still stressing too about the business and yeah we have to make it work because Mm -hmm. now you're in the business full-time and yes like it just has to work and the the stress and the pressure are so deep as a business owner and I'm sure a lot can relate to that that do own businesses. Yeah. I think also for me when I did come on and I wasn't earning anything and then when I slowly started yeah. to pay myself after a couple of months, the 
tie of my self-worth to the value that I was bringing into like our relationship absolutely destroyed me. Yeah. Oh, Claire. Losing that part of your independence, I think, was really hard. And we did speak about that a lot too, like during that transition. But like managing those things, like as we said before, we always try and have words of affirmation with each other and like encourage consistent workout routines, manifestation, meditation, and all those things. But I think it's really about us being open and honest with each other. Yeah. Especially with conflict. Like we've been so lucky that we, we don't really disagree on a lot of things. Like we both bring different strengths and weaknesses into the business. So it's more of like a conversation. And at the end of the day, the decision is always based on what is going to be best for the business. Mm -hmm. Our friendship always being number one priority. At the end of the day, the friendship, like nothing gets between that. Like we set that out, that boundary from the very beginning because that's what's most important to us. So just having really open and honest conversation, not taking things personally when it's a business decision and just hearing each other um, and trusting each other as well during those. Yeah, we made it very clear from the start, like G said, that our friendship comes first and there's nothing that's getting in the way of that and in terms of that, like our friendship, but also like you as a person and me as a person. So like yep. if you're mentally struggling or you're physically struggling, like if yep. something's got to give, then like that is way more important than the business. Like the business yep. is great and it's our baby and everything else, but like the people need to be there for the business to keep going anyway. So Definitely. if we need to take a step back and work on ourselves or whatever we need to do to push mm-hmm. forward later on, then that has to come first. Yeah which has happened a lot too because I do battle with depression and Claire has been so patient during like my healing and going through all of that to be able to really pick up where the business needs her to be and that's just been, yeah, so amazing. (laughs) And Gee, thank you so much for sharing that too because I think there's been such a huge jump and so much progress in mental health conversations over the past few years but it's like, anxiety and panic attacks are almost more normalized and it's like easier for people to say that they experience generalized anxiety but I feel like depression still has a heavier load on it and that often the conclusion is because it can be really debilitating often the conclusion is well you couldn't be a really high functioning business owner that runs a business and live with and live around something as heavy as depression, like anxiety, you can manage, you can do meditation, you can take medication, you can do all these things. But I think depression is still like this kind of still a little bit misunderstood or still has a, bears a bit more weight in it. And I really appreciate you even sort of talking about it. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's really hard because it's, it's not like you can control it and you don't know when you're going to have a really bad day and not be able to function. A lot of the time I am like high functioning and I can manage it, but there's definitely times when it's like I like literally cannot leave the house because everything's too much. So being able to have a business partner that can support me and understand me through that, I wouldn't be where I am today even without her friendship. So, yeah, it's a beast. <laughs> it's a beast, but I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely something. So I don't experience it as much anymore. I have like quite severe anxiety from time to time but there was like two years I think when I was in constant burnout and that triggered it to become quite severe 
like clinical depression for, yeah, I, I reckon 18 months. And I really had not understood, even as someone who was quite familiar with mental health and had a lot of friends who spoke openly about it, I still had this idea that like depression is just being sad. Like I was like, oh, it's just feeling sad. And so you just do the things that you do when you feel sad. Like you watch a cute movie and then you feel better. And then I experienced like this, the black hole of like physical symptoms. It's not like an emotional thing. It's like exhaustion, fog, you can't see, you can't stand up, you have no energy, you're nauseous. It's not just an emotion that normal people feel in the spectrum of a day. It's like, it's so hard to explain, but like the fact that you are like an amazing role model for people who also suffer from depression that like, especially with an amazing business partner, like it doesn't stop you. No, yeah. (laughs) No, it does not stop you. (laughs) I'm like, gee, like, cut it. Like, you need a break. Like, you can't keep going. And she's like, I'll just keep getting these emails out. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, we need to shut you down for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, put the reset button. Just like, let's turn you on and off. <laughs> Especially like, because being small business owners, it's very yeah. easy to just constantly work weekends, yeah. nights, everything. So it's having that being like, no, no, like, you actually need to take this weekend. Like, yeah. I don't care if you stare at the wall, but like, you, you, I don't want to see an email from you. Yeah. Which is- That's my way of disassociating, <laughs> I think, from my feelings is like I and I've been a workaholic. I've always mm-hmm. been like taking pride in my work ethic as well. Sorry if you hear those sirens. Yeah, I'm like, oh my God, they're after you guys. What have you done? <laughs> Not again. <laughs> so that's just like my way of distracting from, I guess, my true feelings and like what I'm going through. But also owning a business too, because you do experience so much self-doubt and imposter syndrome, like a lot of my depression is based around self-worth because of some situations that I've been in in the past that were like really horrible. So those kind of things almost would like feed my depression and anxiety as well. So that's been quite a hard process, I think, to work through and understanding that that's what's happening as well. And when I'm having a really bad day, I've been really stressed at work and like I'm feeling a lot of doubt in myself and imposter syndrome. And it's really identifying what all those triggers are, I think, and what it feeds back to. Yeah. Which is why, and I, I know like calling it play TA is like such a, like it, it sounds so trivial, but to me, that's my trigger of like, have I had any like mental downtime that's not related to productivity, that's not related to goals or outcomes or stress or timelines of any kind that's not related to my job because it's almost harder when you love your job and you've made your passion into your job because then you, you're ticking play at the same time as working. So your incentive yeah. to like create separate downtime is so low because you're like, well, when I work really hard, I enjoy it and our business grows. So like why would I ever take a day off? But do you guys get strict with each other about like building in time where you do take time off? Because like, what is a weekend? What is a, you know, there's no reason. What is a public holiday? You don't even know what that is. So how do you manage that? Great question. We're getting a little bit better at <laughs> yeah. it. It's definitely been a long time coming, especially over the last couple of years when we were in lockdown and things like that, because mm-hmm. it was so easy to just consistently work. Yep. Just, and I found that we were just waking up starting work at 6am in bed because we had nowhere to be and going until we fell asleep and then doing the exact same thing the next day. Horrific. So (laughs) I got really into puzzles as a distraction. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, and my guilty but, pleasure is reality TV. Yes, you love it. And true crime, anything true crime. I've <laughs> I've gotten G, and this is like I'm the, my proudest thing. I've gotten G to start reading. Yes, because <laughs> I love reading. And she yes, was like. I, I don't read. I hadn't picked up a book since <laughs> high school. Until this, this year. And this year I've read 12 already and I had a goal <gasps> of five. <laughs> I didn't think I was even going to get through five. <laughs> For the year. Yeah. I love how she's like, I have been like unwinding and having play TA, but my goal was five and I've just like more than 200%ed my goal. Yes. <laughs> but she couldn't read five books over the whole year, but she could smash like yeah. 15 episodes of reality in one day. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> oh. love reality and yeah we read now <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> oh my god that's amazing so I can't believe I've like got this far and not mentioned why we've actually done this and also how come we haven't done it before but I like I can't finish without mentioning that we have had the great privilege for how many years now like I have no concept of time <laughs> three Did- no four or five. <gasps> Because before COVID, nine, four. 2019. Four yeah, was four that? years, I think. Whoa. I think we launched early 2020, the first drop. Oh, But, yeah, sorry. we've been working on it. Yeah. So, oh, wow. And that's still pre-COVID. <laughs> yes, yes. Like, just at the start, yeah. Oh, that's my true. God. Yeah. So, we released, I'm sure most of you listening are the same people who already know this, but just in case you missed it. We did a beautiful Ellen Rowe and CCA collaboration range back in like, oh my God, a million years ago that just was like this beautiful project to do together and then just kept selling out, which was amazing and like has kept going for four years to the point where now we're adding a little extension to it. So tell us about how you guys also came up with the idea to to do collaborative ranges. Oh, I think it was just always something that we wanted to do but it had to we wanted to work with people to design something that had a different meaning than we could offer or something else that you know some we saw somebody doing something really cool and like how good would it be to have like a sentimental reminder of exactly that I've always been really obsessed with like the sentimentality side of jewelry Mm -hmm. and how it creates mainly all of the heirlooms that come around like yeah and just like the like a special memory <laughs> yes things like that yeah so having like when I was listening to your podcast a lot and absolutely loving like everything that was going on and just how it was making me feel the idea to have like a piece that I could physically see every day when I look in the mirror or see when I look down that reminds me of that was just like yeah. I had to have it. So that yeah. I think was why we first reached out to you. Thank God she said yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just reach out and just ask the question mm-hmm. is our biggest piece of advice. Yeah. Because it, it may not come to fruition then, but it, they may circle back and it might happen at a later time. But you're gaining that confidence, I think, to ask the question too. Absolutely. And I feel like The one thing that has helped me so much is always letting myself consider the worst case scenario in a really like non-pessimistic way. Just like consider how bad could it actually be instead of letting the the bad scenario be like this unspoken monster. And usually the worst that can happen is they say no and then you get over it and like the next day nothing is different in your life. But half the time they actually say yes. And that's like what a damn shame if you never got to do something because they were willing to say yes, you just never asked them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then we'd met you at the dinner. You were having that dinner in, in Sydney and 
we came along and I think we gifted you some pieces because we wanted you to wear it and get your opinion, I guess, on the quality. Is it something that you like and would actually wear? Because that was being authentic, I think, in the collaboration too is really important. Like the creator, we really want to have that connection with you and for you to be passionate about our jewellery as well. It's not just about slapping your name on something. It's really coming together and being collaborative in that process. And then from there, I think we'd reached out or Claire had reached out and just asked if you'd be interested. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. And I think you gifted me a disc and then in every photo and story and video for the next, like, year, I was wearing it and it was on (laughs) and you were just like, well, we know she likes it because it was like (laughs) I did not take it off. She proves of the quality, something that she can believe in and genuinely say to her audience, this is good, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they've seen you wearing it as well. The perfect match was that, like, and this is why it's so beautiful to ask because, like, I would never, I always, I'm so similar, I want that affirmation on my body, like, and that, well, you know, I call it wearable yay. Like, I wanted yay that you could take with you, but I would never go and, I don't know anything about manufacturing. I would literally go to Alibaba. Like, that's the only way that I would know to do it, whereas you guys had the skill set for that like it's just the perfect matchup for us to both create something that we want and it just why more businesses don't collaborate it just escapes me why like do you know it was just so perfect it yeah. was yeah and is it is perfect yeah. <laughs> we are adding two more pieces to <gasps> the collection i'm so excited for them <laughs> too so we started with two necklaces in two different colors the radiance and the title which a lot of you know because you're probably all wearing them. <laughs> and then we've been mulling over adding earrings for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah a really long time, yeah. yeah. So we're bringing back the Radiance necklace in both gold and silver and then two pairs of earrings. So a statement like 15 mil hoop yeah. and a little huggy with a beautiful little sun charm. I'm so excited (laughs) and it matches the radiance. So you guys know the radiance is that gold rectangle with the sun and all the little stars that I wear every day, like literally every day in all my content ever. That's like, (laughs) in fact, sometimes on the the TV show, they're like, can you like swap this so it looks like it's not the same day? (laughs) Do you want me to turn it backwards? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And the idea around that necklace is never let anyone dull your sparkle, which is kind of what we've been talking about. Like always shine bright. And I love that when I wear it, like if I I do have feelings of self-doubt or, you know, just encounter a shitty moment. It's such a, a physical reminder of like, okay, no, I've got my, like, never let anyone dull my sparkle. And now the earrings match and the huggies match the earrings. Like, it's just so, they're so stunning, the pieces. And like, you know, Angie's the best tester of anything because she just like will not take jewelry off to go in the ocean to have a shout like she's never going to do that so she's a great test <laughs> she tests like me I'm really rough on it as well but yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they've gone so well the only reason we have replaced her necklace three times because she wears it to footy oh, um, and it gets pulled the chain yeah or it gets tangled so it's not about the jewelry it's Ange wearing it incessantly I'm like you could just take it off <laughs> she's like no I don't do that so 
So we are releasing the new pieces. I think they might have already gone live by this episode. So guys, depending on the timing, I'll put the link in the show notes. Ah! We cannot wait. So, so excited. And we've had so many questions from the community saying, when is it coming back? <gasps> really? <laughs> so years. many. Like every yeah. time it sells out, we're just bombarded. And even though we took it off the website so they couldn't see, like they'll find it in our Instagram. And they're still searching. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I actually get that too. And I'm like, guys, I've already said, but then they do, they sell out really quickly. And I feel like every time we increase the number and it's still, yeah, we're like, oh, we're going to be left with so many of these and we never are. No, which is incredible. (laughs) It's the best. So, okay, what else is coming up for you guys? So we're launching this. You've Clay, you've got your first trip in like ever. I know I'm going overseas, which is so exciting. I haven't been overseas in years. So (laughs) finally, I've been planning it, but it just kept getting pushed off. So that's really exciting. Terrible timing for work, but that's fine. We're We're just, yeah, getting through the end of the year, obviously planning collections for next year. Yeah, so we've got some exciting stuff happening next year (gasps) collection-wise. We're scaling at the moment and growing the business and hopefully going into the US. So international expansion, which is really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's huge. I mean, we're like we sell from our website internationally, yeah. but we're like, no, no, we need a presence over there. Like we need to start being more in stores and things like that so that people can actually physically see the quality. So yeah, it's going to be quite a big, yeah, expansion. Yeah. We've already started it, so it's starting to roll out hopefully early 2024. Yeah. Oh, my God, how exciting. Congratulations, guys. Thank yes. you. Oh, my gosh. It's so scary. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> but it's also like what you said about the comfort zone, like it, the comfort zone of where you are now is catching up to you because you've been at this level and now it's the next level and you evolve again. And like it has truly been the greatest privilege to work together and watch you grow over the past couple of years and like and keep growing. It's just like especially looking back to that dinner at the start. It's like I can't even tell you. I mean, we're the same. Thank you for Honestly. being a part of it. <laughs> yeah. It's so huge for us, as we said earlier, being a part of the neighborhood and like knowing you on a personal level too. It's just been so great. And you're such an easy person to get along with. <laughs> great conversations. So yeah, it's really beautiful. Yeah. We have truly appreciated the support so much. So much. <laughs> oh, and right back at you guys and everyone listening, we are going to at some point do an in-person neighborhood event to celebrate the jewelry probably next year because we're all just like not great at pacing ourselves <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely gonna happen yeah so stay tuned and i'll put all the links either to our collab if it's launched or if not to ellen rose page so you guys can follow along for when it is released very last question as you guys know is always your favorite yay filled quote can you leave us with something mine is sometimes you win Sometimes you learn. I love that one. That's just my life, I think. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes you get in the fetal position and cry, and that's fine also. Exactly. But then after that, you realize that you were learning. And then you were learning, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's a beautiful one. I love it. Mine is, I'm not sure who it's by, but it's your level of success rarely exceeds your level of personal development because success is something you attract by the person you become. And I feel like it's just really powerful and like, okay, 
like I'm leveling up. I've got to become, you know, the next level of myself, the better version of myself, and then more successes are coming. And you just notice the opportunities that come to you as you kind of grow and expand. Yeah. Oh, those are so beautiful. What an amazing note to end on. Thank you both so much. It has been the greatest pleasure to have you on the show. I can't believe we didn't do it earlier. I can't believe we're up to like round five or six or whatever we're on. Yeah. And I can't wait to see what you guys do next. Oh, thank, thank you so you much so for much. having us.